welcome to the Wellness Journey podcast from the St. John Vianney Center. I'm Dr. Mariette Danilo, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to journey with you through these challenging times and to hopefully provide you with information that may help sustain you. Our podcasts are aimed at keeping you healthy in mind, body, and spirit. This is podcast 32. Today's podcast title is Christmas in Our Everyday World. So the following podcast, I'm going to take some excerpts from the very, uh, the first podcast I did for last Christmas, as I thought they might be relevant for us now. So some of the excerpts are from there. But before I begin, I want to find out how you are. I hope you're all well. I've had two vaccinations and the booster, and let's not forget my recent flu shot. So I have more holes in my arm than Swiss cheese. <laughs> well, I hope you're doing well as well. It's always a gift and a privilege to be with you, and I do hope you're well. You know, in thinking about you and what you might need to hear or learn, especially now, well, we're journeying through Advent towards the joy of Christmas. Christmas, all the external trappings remain, the tree, the decorations, the lights, and the creche, our most precious nativity scene. I decided to reread the infancy narratives as I do every year. I struggle to relate to this and relate to this time in the life of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And yes, the journey, the cave, the shepherds, the wise men. And I marvel, I always marvel at how Joseph unselfishly took on the role God had given him. But this world today, I feel like an observer to the nativity and find it difficult sometimes to hear, see, smell, and experience it. And I often think of something Gertrude Muller said in her book, To Dance with God, which is a book I used frequently, and I, I really love it. She says, and I quote, indeed, aware that we once walked with God and then lost that innocence, only to be given a new hope in the incarnation, we become responsible for healing our brokenness and bringing him to birth in the everyday challenges of the human condition, end quote. So we become responsible. I know many of you would think a lot less of me if I told you that I love the movie Christmas Vacation. Um, I'm not sure how the USCCB has rated this movie because I couldn't find it anywhere. But I know that many um, of our Protestant brothers and sisters, and there have been many sermons about this movie because it does have some endearing traits and some relevance to the toxicity and the sinfulness of our world. It's a bit saucy of a movie for some, and it's certainly devoid of religion. But like most of life, if you look past the exterior, you can find some golden nuggets. 
I confess to you that I see some in this movie. So in the movie, Clark Griswold, played to perfection by Chevy Chase, is every man. He's human. And he has an ideal image of what Christmas means to him and what family should look like and behave like. This is not the Holy Family. He plans the perfect Christmas, but sometimes things get in the way. Human imperfection, struggles with brokenness, and this threatens his ideal Christmas. And this is his version of an ideal Christmas, certainly not ours as Christians. But this movie, in the movie, it plays out in exaggerated and very funny ways. But in the end, Clark softens and demonstrates love, generosity, and tolerance because of, not in spite of, the chaos around him. Many of you will argue this with me, but that was what I saw in Clark Griswold, someone very human, very much like you and me. Now, Clark did not have our Christmas in mind or what it means to us as Christians, but for us, this time is about, as Carol Hauslander puts it, bringing Christ to birth in the everyday challenges of the human condition. What does this mean for us? Can, can we be responsible for healing our own brokenness? And how do we go about this? How can we bring him to birth in the everyday challenges of the human condition? And how can others influence, challenge, and ultimately chisel us to look more like God. I want to repeat what I shared with you last Christmas as I think it bears repeating the following. I'll begin with a quote from Pope Francis who reminds us, we do well to keep in mind the early Christians and our many brothers and sisters throughout history who were filled with joy, unflagging courage and zeal in proclaiming the gospel. Some people nowadays console themselves by saying things are not as easy as they used to be. Yet we know that the Roman Empire was not conducive to the gospel message, the struggle for justice, or the defense of human dignity. Every period of history is marked by the presence of human weakness, self-absorption, complacency, and selfishness, to say nothing of the concupiscence which preys upon all of us. These things are ever present under one guise or another. They are due to our human limits rather than particular situations. Let us not say then that things are harder today. They are simply different. But let us learn also from the saints who have gone before us, who confronted the difficulties of their own day. So I propose that we pause to rediscover some of the reasons which can help us to imitate them today. End quote. So, we know that Christ was born into a hostile world. Who are we during our time in salvation history? 
the world and more recently this pandemic has provided a stage, so to speak, a back set, almost if you could envision a movie set and we are players on that set. This set challenges us to live out the gospel message. What gets in the way? What gets in the way of this, your own mission? I'd like to begin with you and me and self-knowledge. What did Jesus know and when did he know it? When did he understand his mission? We're not sure, but we do know that by the time he was tested in the desert, Jesus, now thinking intently on his mission, was subject to the same temptations all of us are. For power, wouldn't we just love to have control over everything? For security, wouldn't we want to always feel safe? For easy answers, how nice it would be to say goodbye to all these mysteries in life all these loose ends. So what gets in our way? Let me share with you some roadblocks to joy. We, print, we present these at our workshops and these are some sure-fired ways of heading to despair and spiraling downward. It's always useful to examine our assumptions about things because they may not be correct or healthy or useful but you can spot them and deal with them if you are self-aware. Here are some examples of dysfunctional beliefs, unhealthy beliefs that you may have. So check off the ones you think you may have. Number one, people should not be so difficult, resistant, or challenging. I must be successful at what I do. If I am not successful in alleviating problems, I can't feel good about myself or be happy. I should not dislike any of my colleagues or superiors. I should not dislike them. I should always have good judgment. I should have answers to challenges. I should not have any emotional reactions myself. And if I do, I should not pay attention to them. These are all dysfunctional, by the way. They're starting to sound like you really should. <laughs> These are what you should not. These are beliefs that you should not have. Here's another one. My worth as a person is dependent on my job performance or what I do. I must have things the way I know they should be. I will be seen as weak if I ask for help. Other people should see things my way or we cannot be friends. Okay, what does that one mean? Think about people of different political parties. Can you be a friend to someone if they're on the other side of the aisle? Uh, so these are the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and this is the road to depression. Let's get back to the Holy Family. In thinking about them, I thought how pristine and perfect they appear. I mean, we can strive to be healthy and holy, but what does this mean? And what was the Holy Family really struggling with? 
in communities as well as families. So in families and communities, because communities are a family of sorts. Within the domestic church, the fa uh, families within the domestic church, we can learn what holiness is. So in religious communities and in families, which are the building blocks of the domestic church, we learn what holiness is. So community and families might be likened to a boot camp that involves exercising virtues. And for Catholics, this is very important. It's not enough to learn what virtues are. We must encounter opportunities every day to exercise them, like weights at the gym. We cannot build muscles unless we lift and use resistance training. This requires us uh, to use resistance. We need to have resistance in order to be strengthened. Members of families and communities offer feedback and support and sometimes pushback, and this can strengthen us. Community and family members smooth and chisel each other's rough edges. To love is to help one another to become who God wants them to be. So what are the signs of a healthy family or community? I'll go down the line for you. See if you can check some of these off. God is brought into the center of their lives and problems. They find God in the everyday. Next, members are bonded together, not against each other. They edify and uplift each other. There is a strong sense of connection. Even if they disagree about things, they can disagree agreeably. Members hold one another accountable. They don't sweep problems under the rug. When necessary to speak out, they engage in compassionate confrontation. And we'll talk about that at the end of this uh, podcast. There is trust. All right. We learn over time who we can trust. Members can be human and disclose feelings to others without fear of retribution. And that happens when trust is there. The thoughts and feelings of members are not minimized, trivialized, discounted, undermined, or ignored. They recognize that conflict is necessary and can be transformative. And they learn healthy skills and strategies to navigate through it. They strive, and I repeat, strive, because we're never perfect, for reconciliation, healing, and love. Their stance is always one of goodwill and perseverance, not one-upmanship or wanting the harm of another. They engage in worship, humor, play, and laughter, compassion, and understanding. They have healthy boundaries. They respect the boundaries of others and they learn how to set them for themselves. They strive to grow and learn. Self-discipline, conflict resolution, and communication skills, how to give and accept love. Cooperation, sacrifice, commitment, and how to be patient. 
members strive to understand and grow in affective maturity and capacity for intimacy. They gain in self-awareness and the ability to disclose themselves to trusted others. And notice here, I have said strive. We strive for this. We try our best every day. This is not a state of perfection. It's a state of trying our best every day. Jesus always said what needed to be said, when it needed to be said, to whom it needed to be said, and a great risk to himself. Here is a quote from Pope Francis about the merciful gaze of Jesus. We can surely use this in our communities and families. Allowing ourselves to be looked upon by Jesus, whose gaze changes our lives, was the focus of Pope Francis's remarks after the readings at a mass on the Feast of St. Matthew, Apostle and Evangelist, whose conversion story was told in the gospel passage of that day. I quote, Jesus looks Matthew, a tax collector, a public sinner whose whole life was money, whom he idealized, right in the eye. Then said Pope Francis, Matthew feels in his heart the gaze of the Lord who looked upon him. That gaze overtook him completely. It changed his life. We say he was converted. He changed his life. As soon as he felt that gaze in his heart, he got up and followed him. This is true. Jesus's gaze always lifts us up. It is a look that always lifts us up and never leaves you in your place, never lets us down, never humiliates. It invites you to get up, a look that brings you to grow, to move forward, that encourages you because the one who looks upon you loves you. The gaze makes you feel that he loves you. This gives the courage to follow him. And he got up and followed him. The gaze of Jesus, said Pope Francis, is not something magical. Jesus was not a specialist in hypnosis. Jesus looked on everyone and everyone felt his gaze upon him as if Jesus had called each person by name. And this look would change the lives of everyone. So did Peter change, who, after denying his Lord, then met his gaze and wept bitterly. Then there is the final gaze from the cross. He looked on his mother, looked at the beloved disciple and said with that look, he told us that his mother was our mother and that the church is mother. With a look. Then he looked at the good thief and once again to Peter, who was afraid after the resurrection and those three questions, do you love me? A look that shamed him. The Pope said, it will do us well to think and pray about this gaze of Jesus and to let ourselves be looked on by him. Jesus goes to the house of Matthew as he was sitting at the table, many sinners arrive. Word had spread. And all of society, but not the respectable folks, of course, felt invited to lunch, as it happened in the parable of the king who ordered the servants to go to the main crossroads to invite his sons 
to invite to his son's wedding as many people as they met, both good and bad. Quote, and sinners, tax collectors and sinners, they felt that Jesus had looked upon them and that the gaze of Jesus upon them, I believe, was like a breath on embers. And they felt that there was fire in the belly again and that Jesus lifted them up, gave them back their dignity. The gaze of Jesus always makes us worthy, gives us dignity. It is a generous look. But behold, what a teacher dining with the dregs of the city. But beneath that dirt, there were the embers of desire for God, the embers of God's image that wanted someone who could help them be kindled anew. This is what the gaze of Jesus does. All of us in our lives, concluded Pope Francis, Francis has, has felt this gaze, and not once only, but many times. Perhaps the person of a priest who may have taught us doctrine or forgave our sins, or perhaps in the help of friends or colleagues that were kind to us. But all of us find ourselves before that gaze, that marvelous gaze, as we go forward in life, in the certainty that he looks upon us. He too, however, awaits us in order to look on us definitively. And that final gaze of Jesus upon our lives will be forever. It will be eternal. I ask all the saints upon whom Jesus has looked to prepare us to let ourselves be looked upon in life and that they prepare us also for that final and first gaze of Jesus. End quote. You'll notice here that the gaze of Jesus is really what we all should be providing for each other. And I'm not going to preach here, but I know that in parenting, there's a way to look at children even when you have to correct them and, and guide them. And this is a tolerance and a generosity of spirit that we provide for one another. And in community and in holy families, holy families are healthy families. There are no black sheep in a healthy family. And so this is what we must do for one another. Before I close, I have something to share with you. I'm leaving my position as director of education at the St. Giovanni Center at the end of this year. Uh, I will stay on as a speaker, however, and be available for presentations as I always was. And uh, it's ironic that this last podcast is about the family. Um, I have long felt drawn to work in the domestic church and marriage and parenting today is in need of supportive, uh, informative programs. And as I have always done, I will use my background as a researcher and the evidence-based uh, research that exists to assist educators, school administrators, parents, husbands, wives, uh, and teachers, anyone who will listen to me um, on how to be uh, happy and healthy and holy. Um, so I will be working within uh, that sphere. Um, I owe a debt of gratitude to the people I've been working with, um, everyone at the St. John Vianney Center, and I mean everyone, 
is talented, uh, knowledgeable, sincere, kind, caring people. And I am going to miss everybody more than you can imagine. Um, they are just wonderful and they've been wonderful to work with. I tell people this all the time. And uh, I especially want to thank my uh, colleagues in the consultation education and outreach department, especially Pat Weston, who is our director of outreach. And she does, she's the editor. She edits these podcasts and she does a million other things. Um, I, I'm really going to miss working with her. She's the best. And uh, Jared O'Connor, he is our director of consultation services. He travels a great deal. He's now in Ireland. He is um, a wonderful, caring person. I will miss him too. And uh, Sister Mercedes McCann, who's been an incredible addition to our department. And she does the, um, uh, the colloquia presentations, many of them. And I just you know, sit spellbound because she's just amazing. If you haven't heard her speak yet, um, uh, she does this for the women leadership. Um, and if you are um, a woman religious, I encourage you to listen to one of her talks. And she serves as our director of uh, leadership relations. Last but not least is David Schellenberger, who is the president of the St. Javiani Center. He has been extremely um, supportive and um, he's been um, key and instrumental in allowing what I do to come into the center. He has uh, been um, really um, pivotal uh, in, in terms of his being um, in the leadership role. He has contributed so much. And without his leadership, I would not have been able to do the work that I have done at the center. And he's taking the center forward. Um, in beautiful ways. So I am so indebted to him and I will miss him as well. So uh, I guess enough said. want to say goodbye to all of you. This is probably my last podcast and I hope you have a very, very blessed Advent and Christmas season. You've been listening to the Wellness Journey podcast. I hope today's topic, Christmas in our everyday world, proves useful to you. You can find all our podcasts and get additional information and resources for clergy and religious by visiting our website at sjvcenter.org. We are the St. Giambiani Center, and our mission is you.